Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. I am Emma, your podcast host, and this week, Christmas week in fact, I am still out and about chatting to Londoners and those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. This week, I caught up with Antje Kunst. She's an international lawyer, a child's rights advocate and a barrister. And I met Antje while working in the Balkans. But those days have long passed. And despite our lives taking us in very different directions, our friendship remains. And it was a huge pleasure to catch up with her on this podcast to get her views on London, the world and life. Well, hello, everybody. Um, I'm down at Lower Marsh, back where my bookshop used to be. And I've just met up with Ancha. Hello, Ancha. Hello. And Ancha is a very old friend of mine who I first met in Kosovo. And actually, Ancha, I totally forgot until the other day that you were my company secretary in name only because it was just kind of a, yeah, yeah, an unofficial yeah. official title <laughs> that you had to sign. Yes. <laughs> and you also came to see the shop with me and I totally forgot that before I signed the lease you came to and the shop to have a look to it. see whether it was as I had imagined it to be and you, you came in and loved it I think yes you? I did I did it was I felt the location was amazing with a view on Waterloo uh, station and so on yeah yes and also because oh I think we're going to get run over by a lorry here um, and also the flat upstairs, because it was so light and bright, I ended up taking that as well, didn't yes. I? So I just get past this lorry. Anyway, those days of, of Lower Marsh and uh, bookshops uh, have, have gone, but, but been replaced by podcasting, which is just as much fun. <laughs> and I'm getting to meet all my old colleagues and customers and anyone else who used to come into the shop or had a connection with traveling through. But it takes me back to the time when I first met you. It was actually in Kosovo, and I was. It was actually at my leaving do, wasn't it? It was. In yeah, Christina. yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, saw you, and I uh, started talking to you, and you said to me uh, that you were involved in the reconstruction of the Tower of London. <laughs> Single-handedly, no. But yeah. <laughs> yes, I was involved, that's right. And, and I remember that I was suggesting to you that you would do uh, help my sister with her flat. That's right. Because <laughs> she just bought one in London, hadn't yes. she? Yes. Well, she had some problems with her flat. And yeah, I thought that would be the right person to talk to. <laughs> in fact, I never did go and visit the flat. But no, I think, you didn't. I think she found someone else who was able to help her more quickly than I could have done at the time. Yeah. But our connection stayed because even though I was in Kosovo for, for four months and then had a leaving due because the project sort of came to an end for a while, for about three months, and then I came back again, you were still working with, with the UN. Yes, then. that's right, that's right. I was working with the UN administration mission in, in Kosovo as a lawyer mm -hmm. um, and uh, I remember also that sometimes uh, I would get uh, something where you were involved. Maybe you could just tell our <laughs> listeners a bit of on that. Yes, I, I, you know what, I can't remember exactly what, what it was. I know you helped us get a car. <laughs> You found the, um, That's the, right. the, legal, the legal documents to ensure that we had a car to drive around because there were so many different sites that we had to visit in Kosovo um, that we needed a, a vehicle to get, to get around. And so we got a Council of Europe vehicle and that was all down to you, I think, 
managing to put the piece of paper to get it signed by the right people because that was one of the huge frustrations uh, working in, in a large organisation or with a large organisation like the UN is the, the wheels turn slowly, don't they, at yes, times? Yes, 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 that's right. But the, those, that time was, was uh, although very um, intense at times and politically very difficult and unstable, it was also filled with much fun and laughter and, um, and you helping me find my car as well. You were involved in finding little Tito that I drove around the Balkans after mm -hmm. I finished working there in 2009. Yes, but you need to remind me how my help was. <laughs> Do you remember we went, we went to, to Skopje one day to a car um, auction oh, yes. and, and we were looking they said oh yes they have lots of Zastavas there but we arrived and I don't think they had any yes and we yes, had yes, a yes, failed yes. we had a few failed missions going <laughs> but but you were also involved in the paperwork and again from the legal point of view <laughs> ensuring that I could actually get the car out of Macedonia because at that time when I bought the car the documents would only allow me to drive around Macedonia and not go any further. But we, cre we created this document, didn't we? With the wording which gave the, the owner of the car, who was Macedonian and not me, because I wasn't allowed to be the owner of the car, to, she signed the document which meant that she gave authorization that I could leave Macedonia as long as I came back within three months or something. Do you remember? Yes, 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 yes. Because otherwise my whole trip to go around the Balkans was completely thwarted by the fact that I, I couldn't get out of the country. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but your support also while I was going around the Balkans are just sending me messages of, of uh, encouragement to keep going. And then at the very end, when I did complete 10 weeks later, totally exhausted, you came and met me and we went out and celebrated. Do you remember? That was in Bulgaria, no? It was, no, no. Oh, well, you, you met me in Bulgaria too with your, your now husband, didn't yes, you? Yes, that's right, that's right. But I'd broken down at that you point. You broke huh? down and we came and <laughs> saw you uh, with your car broken down and you were busy trying to find somebody who could repair your car. That's right. <laughs> you saw it being towed down the high street, didn't yes. you? And me thinking, will I ever see the car ever again? At that point, I'd got, I, I wasn't that far into the journey, was I? But you were coming through Greece and yes, yes, yes. We, had yeah, a, yeah. we had a couple of days there. So yes, that, that was, uh, feels a long time ago now, like 2009. Ago. Yes. A lot has happened in our lives since then, hasn't it? That's right, yeah. But as a lawyer, Ansha, you're involved in international law. You're a European lawyer, as, or you deal with European court, courts of law. Um, but you're also a child's rights advocate, advocate yes, and and a barrister. Yes. So, which I didn't realise that, that that's happened quite recently. That ha happened quite recently. Yes, um, I uh, have been with uh, Barristers Chambers since um, 2013, and uh, I was a um, registered European lawyer, but uh, with the Brexit. Um, coming about, uh, I needed to register a European lawyer. Yes. This uh, didn't exist anymore and was, I think, abolished by law. And, uh, and then I was trying just 
a few months before the end of the transition period under the withdrawal agreement yes. uh, to, to be fully integrated in the, into the barrister's profession. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a bit hard to get there, yes. but eventually in July uh, I went to Lincoln's Inn uh, where we will go. We're going to walk there now, so we're walking from Lower yeah, Marsh to Lincoln's Inn. I, I actually went there virtually, let's say, uh, and I was called to the bar virtually in July. So but this, when, you, when they did year. it virtually, was it by a Zoom? Well, actually, uh, I, th I, I would have thought that there would be some, um, how can I say, some Zoom call or so, but yeah. uh, in fact, it was only administrative. I got a, uh, I got a document and, uh, yeah. and by that I, I was called to the bar, okay. which is quite exceptional and due to the circumstances, yeah. due to the pandemic. Because, as I'm sure the listeners can tell from your accent, that you're not British born and bred, but you're actually from the northern part of Germany. That's right, that's right. And also spent a lot of time in Berlin as well. But from yes. where in the northern part of Germany are you? Um, I'm from Friesland, uh, near the North Sea. Um, there I'm from. Uh, I was never uh, working uh, as a lawyer in, in Germany mm -hmm. and feel now a proud member of, of the bar of England and Wales. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> your, your working life started off uh, ab working abroad in, in Gaza. Am I right? In, I does my actually um, was uh, my international life uh, as a lawyer started actually in India. Oh, did it? Yes, yes. Oh, wow, I, I um, when I finished my studies, I had a bit of time before starting my training and my, my articles. Um, and I applied for an internship uh, all over the world yes. uh, with a special focus on India. And I got a couple of acceptances and eventually I did an internship at a law firm in, in New Delhi. Wow, and actually an there I discovered my love for India, for uh, South Asia. Oh wow. Yes, and then I went um, uh, to, um, to South Africa mm -hmm. to work there for a law firm, okay. but only briefly because yeah, for certain reasons they didn't keep me, so <laughs> this was a, quite a, some experience. But just prior to this I had uh, started applying to the UN yes. uh, and one of my um, my applications was for UNRWA, the UN Reliefs and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees. Right. At the time I thought that um, this job would be based in Vienna. Yes. Um, but I then fell, uh, found out that, that the job would be based in the Gaza Strip. My goodness, what an experience. So what year was that? That's quite a while ago, isn't it? Um, this was in, um, in, in 1999. Yes. And yeah, then I went uh, for an interview into the Gaza Strip and um, it was quite funny. The whole interview was about if I would be capable of working and writing in, in English. Oh gosh. <laughs> and uh, eventually I got the job. Yes. Stayed there for five and a half years. Worked for, um, uh, on staff appeals actually. Um, UNRWA has, I think still now, 22,000 local staff. Uh, yes and a couple of hundred or maybe a hundred international staff and they can if they have a problem with with their employer they can challenge this right and appeal this and i come back to this uh, when i when we talk about what i'm now doing yes yeah so i stayed there for five and a half years 
And then I followed my, uh, my boss at the time to, to Kosovo. Is that how you ended up in yes, Kosovo? I yes, always because wondered of him. how that had happened. Yeah, so. And my tea's lawyer, who I think is still working in Kosovo. Okay. Yeah, and I, I guess I owe it to him that I got the job uh, in Gaza and then subsequently in, in Kosovo okay. with the UN. Um, what's your lasting impression of, of Gaza and, and, the, and your time there? The people. Yeah. People are, were incredibly nice and uh, the culture. Um, I, I, I was traveling a, a lot at the time, even in the Gaza Strip. This was before the, uh, the second intifada. We could travel through the Gaza Strip and then later I traveled to Syria, Damascus. I loved uh, Syria, yes. um, Lebanon, uh, Beirut and Jordan. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a time of my life which I look quite, um, how can I say, it, it was a very, it was a great time, quite challenging time as well. Yeah, of course, of, yes. Of my life. I mean, uh, we had then uh, the Intifada, yeah. Uh, I Explain got, a bit about the, that. Well, uh, the, um, I think it started with Sharon visiting the Al-Aqsa Mosque in, uh, in Jerusalem and yeah. that was, felt as a big humiliation to the um, uh, to, to the Palestinians and uh, that triggered uh, the second intifada. I was mm -hmm. remembering my mum was uh, visiting at the time yes. and, uh, and we on that day uh, we had breakfast and, at one of the beach hotels in, 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 Ga in the Gaza Strip Yes. and I had to bring her to the airport so I was driving and then when we were going through the main road they were um, burning tires on the street. Oh my and I was like, okay, mum, um, I don't know what is going on, but just keep calm. <laughs> keep calm. There's one big road uh, towards Aris. This is a border into Israel, yes. where we had to go to Ben Gurion airport. And um, so there were more and more burning tires on the street. And after some time, I, 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 well, it was a bit difficult to explain to my mum what was happening and I I didn't know what was happening uh, because uh, well she was visiting and I wasn't following the news but eventually yes. we reached Aris and uh, yes. I brought her safely to the airport. But was it she must have been extremely nervous about leaving you behind in this <laughs> yes. situation as well so th yes, that's the thing right. about our poor mothers who who see their children going to um, war-torn areas and not, and not really fully understanding how generally safe we are really yes and, yes, and yes. how how quite often just um i mean london can be <laughs> just as difficult and and uh, conflicting and an unsafe a place to be as 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 living and traveling abroad and that's the reality really isn't it yes 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 well what i was uh, then uh, say, thinking given that she had experienced this start of the intifada i would always tell her okay the israelis uh, or we have to expect that the Israelis will come over Gaza, drop some bombs, and uh, but it's safe. Uh, they are laser guided, and I would, I mean, in other words, I would explain to her what was happening, and I and she coped quite well with that. Okay. Uh, as a, rather than being kept in the dark, what was going on? Yes, um, yes, yeah. Always better to to be explaining what's happening, and as long as they can hear your voice, like any parent wherever they are, and in the world uh, wanting to know that their children are safe yes. uh, that allays some of the some of the fears i yes, imagine yes that's yeah. right. 
So after Gaza, obviously, you came to, you came to Kosovo, and, and with this, you're just gathering more and more experience working in the capacity as an international lawyer. Yes, that's correct. Uh, I was working as a so-called uh, institutional lawyer, um, loving it, and uh, it was extremely interesting. The UN was uh, the, the government uh, in many ways, and uh, uh, we did legislation. I was exposed to many different areas. Um, but uh, I stayed there also for quite some time, five and a half years. Yes. And after some time, I, I really thought I need to, to, to go. Mm -hmm. And that was in 2010. And just two years before, I met my husband, and he's from Berlin. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I decided to, to, to go back to Europe, to Berlin. Right. And live there for, for some time. I know this is one of the hardest things for people who've worked in an international environment and have not actually been integrated into their own country's systems. How difficult it is then to get work and be employed by your own, um, so we're gonna go over Waterloo Bridge here, so we just, <laughs> to, to get employed within the, the systems, shall we say, or the governmental systems within your own within your own country. And did you find the same? Yes. I felt it was incredibly difficult and I started applying uh, to, to, to the ministries, somehow finding a way to use the expertise, the knowledge I had gained for the last 11, 12 years in any future job I would do in Europe. Yes. Um, and I became so desperate at some point because I couldn't find a job. Yeah. People were saying, well, you lived, worked abroad and we can't use it, which was not my expectation. And I started to, because I was so in despair, I started to, to found a, a network mm -hmm. of people who uh, worked, had worked abroad like myself right. and coming back to Berlin and sharing experiences. Yeah. Uh, with like-minded people who had the same problem and we were coaching each other and so on. And this, is this a network that um, only exists in Berlin or is it more across uh, internationally? Is it no, a, no, no, it was a, a network which I and a friend oh, you initiated, initiated it? Ah, it. okay. Now it doesn't, it does no longer function, but it went on for like four or five years. Okay. So, as I said, I, I couldn't find a job. Maybe it was meant to be like that because <laughs> um, one day I, uh, I sent uh, my CV to um, a former colleague of UNRWA, Lee Mahler, and I asked him, do you have a job for me? And he said, to my utmost surprise, yes, I have. Really? So he had found it uh, after having worked for UNRWA uh, and, and then uh, the EBRD and the World Bank. Uh, he came back to, to London yes. and he founded a barrister's chambers. Right. And it, I think it had just started when I approached him. Yes. And so I became a tenant of Bretton Woods Law. Okay. And what I did then was, and that's why I mentioned what I did in, 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 for UNRWA in Gaza, I, would, I, I represented staff who worked for international organizations, UN, organizations in yeah. their employment disputes right. where I was the expert having done this on the part of of the UN in the Gaza Strip. Yes, yeah, yes. So isn't it amazing how how these links can just absolutely absolutely bring you back to to uh, a place I mean to bring you to London as well of all 
of all places, which yes. is great for me as well, because I've ended up being back here after after eight or ten years and then setting up the bookshop. But um, what I um, wanted to ask from that is your link to to working abroad also meant for you and, and for me from, from the angle which I was working was uh, corruption abroad as well and within an international Organize, international organisations working with countries and different systems and, and that's something also that you set up wasn't it, anti-corruption within working in post-conflict areas. Yes, whilst I was uh, without jobs for two years uh, in Berlin I met uh, Peter Eigen, he's the uh, founder of Transparency International, mm -hmm. the anti-corruption NGO in the world and uh, I did a project with him um, on anti-corruption and then whilst I was more and more reading myself into uh, anti-corruption issues I realized why did I never had a training when I was uh, working um, in, in, in countries uh, or territories like uh, Palestine who have big problems with corruption and of course also we were as the UN uh, establishing missions uh, in Kosovo and so on, we were also somehow generating corruption in that we were bringing in money, yes. uh, people would try to get uh, contracts with the UN yep. and so on. Um, yes, and then I de decided to design a, a training course for staff uh, working in, in, in EU UN missions. Um, so yes. to create it is basically, uh, it's all about awareness, isn't it? Like yes. We, we have systems here and of course corruption happens everywhere in the world and not just, not just where we are not. Um, and we think that we are kind of pure, but we're not in our own, in our own countries. But, but also abroad, it's just the, the way the systems work are different. So how, how much your awareness has to be almost more heightened to be sure that you're doing things in a correct way, that you cannot be accused. Of, of being manipulated in some way. Too, yes, yes, it? yes. Yeah. So, but I didn't. Uh, I must say, uh, I um, was at that time when I was uh, designing this uh, course. I was a bit at a difficult time in life, both personally and otherwise. And during that time, um, I was starting to become interested and involved in child rights litigation. This was um, due to the fact that my niece, yes. who is disabled and lives here in, in London, going to a mainstream school, yes. had great difficulties uh, right. in actually performing at a mainstream school. Okay. And uh, we in initiated a uh, judicial review mm -hmm. uh, back in, I think it was 2018. And notwithstanding that my sister was helped by uh, very capable barristers, um, I was uh, sort of helping her uh, in um, understanding the issues involved. Okay. And, and through the, um, the fact that my niece is disabled, I... Um, she's disabled in the sense that she's partially sighted, is that correct? She's that blind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But she's in a, in a mainstream school. Yes, exactly. Which is amazing, isn't it? And, and the importance of that, of being accepted into a mainstream school. Well, I mean, the, to be in a mainstream school, that is the norm. Uh, 
it should be the norm, yeah, uh, rather, yes. uh, because in specialized schools nowadays, blind children have all sorts of other problems. And, you know, the blind children, their only disability is that they are blind. Yes. They are absolutely capable of, of following the curriculum, but they need some support. And that's yeah. the uh, crucial issue of this case, uh, that she doesn't get uh, the help she needs by by so-called teaching assistants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and so, where is this? Where is this case at? If you're, are you able to discuss it at, at all? Or you? Well, I can tell In you this: we uh, lost uh, before the uh, before the High Court and before the Court of Appeal. And um, let's see how it goes okay. in the future. So it, it will be, um, you'll, you'll know more by the summer, next summer? Yes, I, I guess. Okay. But I just wanted to explain that often, I, I believe, things happen in your life and uh, you are guided in a particular direction. And yes. um, because of this, um, I, as I said, I started to, to be, become interested in, in disabled children, but also uh, children who are in institutions because often disabled children, in particular in countries where you have not so many resources, uh, in particular so community support and so on, yes. uh, parents tend to, to um, give their children away, their disabled children, and uh, put them into institutions, right, right. in children's homes. Yes, uh, and you're, you're, you're particularly talking about Shall we walk through this? A walk through Somerset yes. House. I think we can go out the other end and. I'm talking. Um, this is a global problem, and in some countries the situation is better than in others. Yes. But it is quite often that children, um, parents of disabled children, see themselves not in a position to care for their child. Right. Uh, because of the lack of community support. Yes. And um, and they give them away. Uh, so quite often supported by uh, by state authorities. Yes. So they're kind of encouraged to give them away rather than to keep them. Yeah, it's sort of both. Uh, yeah. They they believe also they do good uh, to give um, give their children into institutions that they get there what they need. Yes. What they, what they don't get there is love and the support of a of a bounding person yes yes but let me just now come to what i did in in in, uh, in south asia in particular yes. in sri lanka because this is connected to this um whilst i was at a conference um by the asian development bank and there were certain anti-corruption issues discussed in 2016 yes I was at, sitting at a table with people from Transparency International and with a Sri Lankan and one of the, one of the uh, Transparency International colleagues said, I have a brother who lives in Sri Lanka. Yes. Uh, he was telling this actually to the Sri Lankan anti-corruption person. Yes. And he, he deals with, um, or he provides support to parents of disabled children. Right. And when I returned from that conference, I thought I need to contact this guy, Martin Henrich. Yes. And I contacted him and I explained to him uh, the story of my niece. Um, and then he said, why don't you come over? 
Okay, why don't I go to, to Sri Lanka? To Sri Lanka. Yes. Yeah. Stay a few days with me and learn all about it. And that is what I did. Okay. So uh, I, I met uh, Martin in, um, in 2017 and over a coffee. And now I, I, I tell you something about, about magic coincidence. We're going to walk through Somerset House very quickly. <laughs> and we've got the ice rink going here. The winter winter ice rink that they have here. It's beautiful in when it, at night time as well. Oh wow! Yes, there we go. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, we had a coffee one day, and he said, "I've just um, linked up with a guy without arms and legs on Facebook," and I said, "His name is not Janis McDavid," and he said, "How do you know?" And I said, "Well, I know somebody." who has no arms and legs, and he's actually the best friend of a lawyer who is my best friend. Yes, and, in Berlin. Uh, yes, so he said, well, we need to invite Janis McDavid to Sri Lanka and show people uh, what you can do. Just as a background, uh, Janis McDavid is a motivational speaker. Yes. Uh, and at the time, he would only give uh, motivational speeches in, in Germany. Right. So he is from he's Berlin? From from he, from he's, from, he's from Germany. Yeah, yeah. And basically the idea was that he would give motivational speeches in Sri Lanka. Right. Just as a background, uh, Sri Lanka is quite, um, it's quite common that you have motivational speakers okay. in Sri Lanka. Yes. And maybe in other uh, countries of that part of the world. But not so much, I would say, in Germany. Right. So we set up ad hoc working group with, with Martin, with him, and with a Sri Lankan uh, journalist who used to work for a radio channel in Berlin. Yes. And he got us in touch with all the media people in Sri Lanka. And as it happened, Yanis was invited to give an interview in one of the most popular morning TV shows at the largest uh, private channel in Sri Lanka, okay. Sirasa. And through that, he spoke about his story. I mean, he's always talking about his story, that he overcame this uh, disability. Yes. Oh, here's King's College. My. Yes, we've walked through Somerset House and then we've just come, <laughs> we're coming down. Well, in fact, it's all barriered off. I don't know what's going on here, but this is But King's College, I King's studied, College. Uh, I did my LLM, my Master's of Law. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah, so we took back so down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, and uh, he, he gave motivational speeches all over the place we were. Then we invited to Sri Lanka. Yes. And then he was somehow discovered by somebody from UNICEF, the regional director for South Asia. Yes. And until today, he's basically invited by UNICEF to give speeches. He has just been to the Ukraine uh, to give their speech in the parliament. And what, what is the impact of this? I mean, in terms of how it's, uh, it's about awareness, isn't it, amongst parents with children with disabilities, that there is hope that there, there are things that they can do beyond, that there's so many things they can be enabled to do. Exactly. Um, Jan's story is, is a lot about accepting and uh, sort of play with the hurdles which come, which come along and overcome them. But of course, Janis is white and is privileged. He was raised by, uh, by foster parents yes. who 
had coached him and so on. And other children are, of course, not so privileged, but uh, his, one of his uh, simple messages is that to accept it and to make the best out of it. Okay, um, so it's not what you can't do, but what you can do. Yeah, it? exactly, exactly. Which is, which it's an incredible guy, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, he, he's not only um, a motivator for parents of disabled children or disabled children, but for many other people. Yeah. We, uh, in, when, when we were in Sri Lanka, he would speak before UN staff, who had nothing to do with the rights of disabled persons. And he would mot motivate them through his story because, I mean, his idea, I, I guess, uh, is that if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Clearly, because you are not disabled like myself without arms and legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is incredible. Again, as we were talking about earlier, before we, we started podcast chatting, it's that magic of how you meet people, or how they cross your path at certain moments in, in time, isn't it? Yes. And, and how those connections come together. It's rather like um, Veronica, who used to come to the, to the shop, to the, to the bookshop, who was with Child Rights International. Um, I forget that it's called Crins. I forget the whole... What, what Child Rights International Network. Okay. <laughs> and putting her in touch with you and how that connection has yes. actually, I suppose, flourished in a way. And, yes. and you've both been of been able to help one another, especially with her coming to, to Berlin and moving to Berlin. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that uh, you put me in touch with her, I think because of my niece uh, case. Yes. Um, and then at about the same time, I studied with great interest their strategic litigation guide for children. And so child rights strategic litigation is, is a topic I'm I feel very strongly about and and so then it resulted that my favorite uh, NGO in well in the world or in the UK uh, or their office would be in the same street where you had your bookshop yeah uh, which was a quite uh, magic coincidence yes. and the even more magic coincidence was that Veronika Yates would move to Berlin yes yeah, and yeah. she's now a very good friend of mine I learned immensely from her from her experience and she was really guiding me for the last two years i've known her quite closely yeah 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 and i'm entirely thank you thankful <laughs> to you well, well i think it's just the serendipity of of life really isn't it how people find one another through the most unusual of ways or, yes. or just a coincidence or consequence or whatever you want to call it but um for whatever reason it's then Having met these people is meeting people and you realise the connections and how we can all help one another with the different skills and experiences we have. And it all comes down to the fact that we all have a value and a worth as well. And it's how we, how we um, use the value and worth that we have, recognising that we do, and then where it can be used to, to help others as well. Yes, it? yes, 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 yes. But I, I wanted to come back to where you first started working, which was in India. Yes. Because that is a place close to my heart, not because I've been, because I haven't been there yet, but my mother was born there. But I know also oh, that... Oh, really? So she was born in, she was born in Lucknow. So, um, and spent, during the war years, she was in, in um, 
not in Lucknow, but she was up in the, the mountains, and I forget the name of the place, but her, her, her great-grandfather was a travelling minstrel and died out there in, in a very peculiar way. Apparently he, he was sleepwalking and fell out of a, a hotel window. But, but oh, So right. I want to at some point go and investigate this further and try and find out where he may be buried and what, what, what actually happened. But, yes, yes. But, but, um, Let us just say so that we are now just in front of the I, Royal Court of I, Justice. I did this <laughs> deliberately. We're standing at the entrance to the Royal so Court of Justice. So grateful for this. I remember when we were standing here twice, actually, for my niece's case. Yes. <laughs> so great, yeah. And so this is this is the entrance you would come in. Yes, and yes, out yes, of each exactly, time. exactly. The courtrooms would be on that side, I think. But yeah, uh, yeah. because Impressive you can actually um, you can visit this as a as a member of the public as well, but not probably not now because it's Christmas time. But um, yes, I don't know. Were you defending her case then, or were you... Oh, uh, no, no, no. I was just attending uh, the, the hearings with my sister. She had very, or she has very capable uh, barristers representing her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The stars of the special education needs world, let's say. Okay. Uh, really. Yes. Thank goodness they are there to, to support. Yes. Amazing yeah. people. Yeah. But coming back to, to, to India. Your, to India. Yes, but actually also we're just walking, should I just say, to podcast this is going to kind of visual, we're walking along the strand, but at the very end of the strand, and we're just faced in the middle of the road here is the, the pillar with the, the dragon representing that that's where the city of London begins, the mile, the mile long of, of the city of London. But we're actually going to turn off left, right by the, the dragon, and head up Bell Yard. The little alleyway along the the boundary line of the Royal Courts of Justice, but um, and as we do so, back to India. Yeah, back to India. So I remember that you were telling me this story about your your uncle. It is, or it's a great great grandfather. Oh, sorry, yeah. great great. So quite so at late so 1890s he was there. So a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. And I remember that I was telling you. Do write a novel about this. Take this fact and just spin around it, tabby the that, story. That is the idea. <laughs> but I think you have to go there. Definitely. And the, uh, the environment will inspire you. I would tell people the, the, the best thing about being, or the best thing you can do when you are there, is just to put yourself somewhere where there are a lot of people and just watch. Yeah. And there are thousands of stories evolving in front of you. And you are just watching the, all the people there, what they are doing, and it's just so interesting. And yeah, where, whereabouts have you been, and, and where would you like to go? And maybe we should go and meet there as well. So. <laughs> well, I mean, one of my dreams is to show my family actually Calcutta. Yeah. Uh, Kolkata, as it Kolkata, is now called. Yes. And uh, I was there only for a few days. Um, back in 2008 or so. And uh, uh, Calcutta is sort of the cultural hub of, of India, at mm -hmm. least at the time it was like yeah. that. And uh, I was totally mesmerized by the city and uh, I really would like to go there again because I haven't been there long enough. I uh, spent much more time when I was working for a lawyer, a law firm in, in India and, uh, back in 1994. Um, yeah. I was uh, in, in New Delhi, but this okay. is a place where I really would like to go again. Yeah, yes. And where I, I remember you also went to India a couple of times on um, 
on retreat, like a yoga retreat. Is that right? This is actually, it was, it is still a dream, uh, but I never did. Oh, I thought you did. It was always a dream. Well, it's good to have dreams. It's something yes. to work towards. No, because uh, if we have these dreams, then eventually one day we do it. Yes. I, in fact, would like to go um, to, to an ashram, uh, not where, where the uh, tourists go, but where the Indians go. Yes. Um, Which part of India is that? Well, I think they are all over the place. Uh, oh, see, they're, so they're retreat, they're, that's the name of the retreat. Yes, as I mean, ashram has this bit negative connotation when you, where the tourists go, but in fact, uh, ashram are those places where the elderly go, uh, okay. do yoga and so on. And actually, I, I went once there for a day or so and uh, visited uh, an ashram like that. Uh, yes, yes. And that is sort of my dream, that I would go there, do yoga every okay. day and uh, meditate and so on. Okay, so when we're in our 80s, Ancho, we'll meet an <laughs> ashram somewhere. Yeah, we do. <laughs> That's a good, good idea, yeah. But I'm very much still into yoga and I love it. And uh, if, you, if you do yoga in India, whenever I went there, I did yoga classes and so on. Uh, it's so much more powerful. You have, uh, I don't know, it's, it's completely different than if you go into a yoga studio here in London. Or yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yes. Different experience altogether. Yeah. So we've just come up Bell, Bell Yard. In fact, the Booksellers Association is down there, which I used to go to as a bookseller. And okay. we're going, this is the Knights Templar. Oh, the Knights Templar are there. My goodness, or is that a pub? No, it's, I think it's the organization old Union Bank Chambers and I think we just keep walking and we'll come up up this little lane which is called Star Yard and I hope according to my Google map it comes out uh, into Lincoln's Inn yes so we'll, we'll see if that's correct or not but where um, I mean Asia's one of your loves isn't it yes the whole region yes um, where where have you been that's really had a huge impact on you I think it was India um, I have been to Pakistan a couple of times because I have, let's say, extended family links to Pakistan. Yes. Um, but, and, and I have been uh, a number of times in Sri Lanka, have been a short time in Bangladesh, but India is, is a place where I feel uh, as if I, well, I sometimes say this jokingly and I shouldn't say this in a podcast, but <laughs> I but guess uh, <laughs> somehow I feel that this is a, different planet but I somehow belong there. Uh, I have a great sense of belonging yeah. uh, when I'm there. Uh, even That's though it's really a crazy place and, and there are so many problems and and I very much relate to to the people mm -hmm. outside or inside India and I love to talk to them and uh, laugh with them. I like their sense of humor yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so on. Hang on. It's closed, no public house at the grounds are now closed to the public. Visitors to chambers must enter via the main gate on Lincoln's Inn Fields. Maybe it's round here to the left, let's try. Okay. So in terms of where you've been in India, have you been mainly to the north or have you been to the south? I well? have been everywhere. Mm -hmm. Calcutta. Love. Calcutta <laughs> is the love. Okay. That's a love, yeah. New Delhi as well, because yeah. I spent there in total eight months, uh, and this is also some of my favorite places. Okay. But I have been to um, to the north, to Ladakh, actually, uh, but mm -hmm. this is not very much Indian, so I, it is interesting. But in essence, um, also, I, 
I lo love to be anywhere there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Andrew, we've just come out. There's Erskine Chambers there. So, Lincoln's in Chambers, which, although you have <laughs> joined virtually, you have no idea where it is, do you? <laughs> so, well, here's the building side. Let's see if we can find It looks out. a bit different. Excuse me, do you know if the entrance to Lincoln's in Fields is this way? Brilliant. Thank you so much. I think I know now where we can go. <laughs> And in terms of your, your love of London, what is it about London that you love? I like um, the different quarters of London who can change. I mean, you go, if you go to Brixton, it's completely different. I, uh, I currently uh, reside in, in East London. It's very Indian, Pakistani, yeah. which I really love. Uh, yeah. You feel like a small India, in fact. Yes. Um, what else? You were at the opera last night. Oh yes, the, the cultural life is, is very uh, diverse and um, I love opera. Yeah, perfect performance. Yes. Tosca with a female conductor. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's a, what, can you remember her name? Was uh, I think, no, I can't, I can't uh, remember her name, but I, 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 generally I, f I feel that female conductors are very impressive. Yes, uh, yeah. In particular in such uh, big opera houses. Yes, yes. Yeah. I have to say any conductor is impressive to me because I don't know how you manage to keep a whole orchestra together yeah, without yeah, the whole yeah, thing yeah. falling apart. No, it's, it's true. Like, and she's 43 and she mm. had a really brilliant career. And yes. uh, yeah, she was managing everybody uh, yeah. at her young age, yes. including the opera singers. Oh, fantastic. Well, <laughs> and, uh, it was so yeah. something to, to, if people are in London, to go and see Tosca, yes. if you have time, at the, at the Royal Opera House, which is yes. a beautiful, actually a beautiful building in its Absolutely. Own right, isn't it? yes, yes, With yes. a floral hall. And yes, yes, yes. I can also recommend Nabucco, which I, um, which I also saw recently. Mm -hmm. Oh, it looks like the gate is open here. We might be able to get in. Let's see. We can. Through Highways Act 1950, there's a private road. Members of the public use it only with the consent of the Honourable Society of Lincoln's Inn. Here we okay, go. Okay, great. So we so are here this is, where this we is, have to be. So this, is, this has huge meaning for me too, Ancha, as, as I'm sure you, you're aware. But my father was a member of Lincoln's Inn too, yes. as a barrister. And he brought my sister and I here when we were teenagers. Uh, to visit London because at that time we were still living in Edinburgh so and and I haven't really been back since so this is a real moment for me to come and relive so hopefully I don't suddenly start crying and bawling my eyes out <laughs> but I think we have to go I remember these buildings and the, the brickwork of the building and the the um gosh I should know as a building surveyor but I've totally forgotten I think we have to go left and right yes yeah in fact it's a, it's a big honor to me that your father has been once a member of the profession I'm now a member of. Now you're of. a member of. It's a, again, it's connections, isn't it? And I love that. Yes. But it's I, also, you know what it is? It's the feeling of somebody that is totally unconnected, or was unconnected in my life when I was a teenager, that I now know, who's a member of the, the inns of court that my father was a member of, who's no longer with us. But, but it's like, it, it just brings back that whole um, feeling of how how connected we all are. Really, yes, yes, in yes, life absolutely. At different times of our life, but sadly, it's all under scaffolding, <laughs> which I should really be appreciating as a building surveyor. But um, it's good that looking after the building. <laughs> and I remember coming here, and it's, it's very impressive. 
It is very interesting. Have you been inside before? Yes, I have. Not recently though, but... And it's so quiet. You know, it's one of these parts of London that many people don't realise is here. And literally, it's right behind yes, Hoburn. Uh, I don't know why I'm whispering, but I feel it. <laughs> but it's, it's a very, it almost feels, it's a very calm and peaceful place. Even when there's lots of people here, there's something about it. The big old London plane trees as well. So as a member of, of Lincoln's Inn, what does that mean for you? Personally, yeah, I, I, um, I said the other time um, to to a German lawyer I know that I have never felt really, even though I, I am admitted uh, as a Rechtsanwältin in, in in Germany, I never felt part of that uh, legal profession because I was always abroad. Yeah, uh, and then I became uh, a tenant of a barrister's chambers, and since 2013, I'm actually. Uh, a tenant of a, of a barrister's chambers and over the years I, f I became, how can I say, it, was, it became my dream to become a barrister yeah. because I was, as I said earlier, a, a registered European lawyer. I, and, and now, given that I am this, it's a dream uh, uh, became fulfilled and I feel entirely proud of this. And, uh, yeah proud of being a member of a profession of individuals who are the best lawyers in the country who do amazing i mean and in particular i'm uh, i'm very much how can i say honored to be in the same profession as uh, human rights barristers who yes. international human rights barristers like i, I recently uh, saw philip sands he he used to be actually um, at the I attended uh, some uh, lectures when I was doing my my masters here in in London, mm -hmm. and uh, he he's one of the most impressive uh, human rights barristers. And there are so many others who I'm striking to how can I say to, to, to <laughs> yeah to be to following a bit their path, yes. even though they are just brilliant and do amazing things but at least to have certain role models and they are my role models mm -hmm. in terms of achieving change for people's lives yeah. uh, and this is what they do in yeah. the international yes. arena. Because this was one of the, the big concerns with Brexit too and there would be a, almost like a cutoff between how European law operated without the um, Infiltration. Well, it's not quite the right word, but the, without the involvement so much of of the British law process, because the European law process is very different, isn't it? Mm. In terms of uh, how they uh, how they look at um, cases. There's no jury, for example, and, and 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 here it's very different. And so our perspective is different. And and I remember you talking about whether it, it would lose some of the balance that that the British legal system brought into the European system? I think, um, I think the European system, the European court case law, for example, is, is, is quite focused on civil law. Uh, having said that, this is very much infiltrated, let's say, also by, by common law. And I felt uh, always very strongly about that the that these two, because I, I have been trained in, in a civil 
law system and then yes. over over the course of my career i uh, i became very much um was very much confronted with common law principles and so on and uh, uh and i feel that the two systems uh can how can i say um, enhance one another yes exactly and and also the judges at the court i i uh, i felt it was heartbreaking that uh uh, somebody like um, the former Advocate General Ele Eleanor Charveston had to go because of Brexit. Mm. Um, because uh, these kind of uh, individuals have enriched uh, the case law and uh, I think it's really important that those two systems are learning from each other because yeah, that yes. is what I did all my, all my career. I was living sort of both systems um, yeah, yes. in a way. Yeah. So uh, I really hope. And, uh, <laughs> sorry, forgive me that I'm mentioning it, but I really hope that uh, there will be another referendum and uh, you will be back. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think you we'll will. I hope we'll be back. Yeah. Uh, in some way, shape or form. But let's see where the politicians and take us in the next in the coming years. The whole world's sort of been turned on its head anyway. Generally. Yes, that's true. So there's a lot of things that need to be looked at and uh, um, and uh, it, it's a very I see in front of me a, a mist nothing is very clear as to where everything is going and we're all just trying to find our our paths indiv as individuals and, and hoping that collectively somehow we'll also find a, a unified way to to go forward yes that's the hope yeah Anyway, we're now in Lincoln's Infield. People are playing tennis. It's not as cold as it was yesterday, actually. No wind. The man sitting there, he's expecting rain. He's sitting there with his poncho on, <laughs> on his phone. But it's very quiet, you know, for like three days before Christmas. It's so quiet, quiet, isn't it? But maybe yes. that's just because it's all offices around here and they've all gone off or working from home. <laughs> I guess so, yes. Yeah. But, um, so Ancho, is there anything that you would like to ask me? I've could have kind of dominated the questions. Asking. No, no, but I'd like I, to add that... that I would like to come back to, to this idea that we meet uh, in, in India, because I think to... Well, I'm, I brought my husband there. I said, if you want to marry me, you have to first come to India. <laughs> did you really? I didn't yes, realize Yes, I that. did. Uh, but uh, I would really like also to show you India through my lens. And, uh, I would. I often said to people. Many people agree. Either you hate it or you love it. But I know yes. that you will love it. You yeah. will absolutely yeah. love it. And maybe, do you have any idea or any thoughts about writing this novel about your grand grandfather? <laughs> my great great grandfather. I <laughs> do. I do. And and it's been in the back of my mind for quite a while now. But you know, running a bookshop and and actually, I mean, it took me ten years to get driving Tito. <laughs> Out with my journey so I have to try and find a way to quicken the pace of writing but I feel 2022 I, I, I've cleared I've cleared the decks really of, of many things that have been with me for a while and and um, I've always had dreams and thankfully due to my huge imagination that I have I'm always creating new dream, new dreams and India is, has been on the agenda for a long time and I have not yet fulfilled that dream to go and I think it's very important, particularly as family, yes. were there. And I've, you know, through my mother, I've heard the stories, and my grandmother too was born out there. So, so there's a lot of connections to India, and yet I, 
you know, when I was in, in my early 20s, I did a round-the-world trip, and it did include going to India, but I, I um, cashed those tickets in because I ended up staying in Australia at the time. And <laughs> India didn't seem so inviting a, a, an opportunity at the time, but now I really feel that's, that's becoming more of a, a pressing need and a, to go. So um, we should try and put something in the diary. We <laughs> should, we should. To meet in Calcutta. <laughs> Actually, I, I read uh, the last two days uh, a book called Calcutta. And okay. uh, uh, unfortunately, I haven't, uh, I have not brought it with me. But Who's I the should. author? Do you? Um, her name is Shuoma Mona Sinha. I, I probably mispronounced her name. Okay, so uh, say it again. It's Shuomona Sinha. Okay. Uh, she she would have she she's living in France, emigrated as from she's from India. She's from Calcutta. Right. And. Um, very f quite famous author, and I should give you the book. And, <laughs> I will uh, look it up. Yeah, and f maybe you can discover your roots in yes. India. I, one of my podcast guests, actually, she and her partner, they have just bought a bit of land down in the south, near out in Kerala, outside of Kerala, in the mountains, and are building a home there. So they're also on the list of of uh, people to go and visit because they have um, elephants and tigers and snakes all trampling and wriggling their way through, through their, their area which sounds a little bit scary but um, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to overcome my fear of large and uh, poisonous animals somehow <laughs> but uh, maybe that's where I need to go to somewhere like India to confront those fears head on. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Well, India is a perfect place to confront fears. Yeah so, I imagine yes. yes. Yeah yes. Well, Anja, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and walking. So we've walked all the way from Lower Marsh across Waterloo Bridge, along the Strand, into Lincoln's Inn, and then into, which links to Lincoln's Inn Fields. And now I think it's time to go and have a, a cup of coffee and a piece of cake. What do you think? Yes, that's what we believe. And thank you so much for interviewing me. And uh, pleasure. It was a great pleasure for me as well. Lovely to chat. And uh, hopefully I... our next podcast will be about Calcutta. That's a good idea. <laughs> yes, okay. that's a very good idea. And if anybody wants to find out a little bit more about you, um, can I put the links to your... Uh, uh, yeah, you I'm now with a different chamber, but yes, uh, okay. I will give you my details. Okay, okay. that's perfect. All thank right. You. Well, to all the podcast listeners out there, I hope you have enjoyed my discussion today with Ancha and you've been inspired. I certainly have learnt a lot more about my friend who I've known for over 10 years, 12 years now. If you have, please do share with your friends. Please give the podcast a rating. That would be greatly appreciated. And do subscribe to the Travelling Through podcast. There's also my website, travellingthrough.co.uk, if you want to find out a little bit more about me and my book, Driving Tito, and also what the book club is reading. That's also listed there. Many festive wishes to you all and happy holidays. But for now, take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>